This is Josh. And Kevin. And on this episode of the Filmmaker's Guide to the Industry podcast, we have Doug Fox, producer. And writer, post-production supervisor. Yeah, and, he's and, done quite a bit. Yeah, he has. Um, he's opening, um, he's one of the, what, three uh, co-owners? Three to- partners of Power Station Media in Tampa, who's doing the Black Veil series. But he has done quite a bit of stuff. I mean, you look him up, he's local hero, post-production house, done a lot of commercials, some with Toyota and some other big brands. So he has a lot of experience, really interesting insight into the industry. Yeah, I mean, uh, thanks for coming in, Doug. Um, just kind of give everyone a, you know, a blast. I met Doug a while ago through Tyler Martinolich, and, you know, then... After, I would say, a long courting period, we finally got to work together. Yeah, yeah, on yeah. We met several years ago, and yeah. I haven't worked at all since we met. <laughs> so, and Josh never hired me, so, you know, so I actually had to create a project just so I could hire Josh and work with him. There's, there was a lot of talk of like, hey, you know, this might happen, this might happen, as there always is. But, you know, fine, I'm just glad we finally got to work together. Because oh, I think man. it went pretty good. We had a blast. Yeah, I think we did. Yeah, so, part, part one of Black Veil, correct? Part one. Part two has a, a, a green date that isn't announced, so I can't tell you. That's, but it's coming in April. That's fair. So what is Black Veil? Oh, Black Veil. Uh, Dan Myrick uh, created this concept of a Southern Gothic horror uh, with his friend Jeffrey Reddick. Dan as you know, directed The Blair Witch and about 10 other movies, um, 11 other movies since then. But we only want to talk about his very first project ever. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, The Blair Witch. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the big word that everyone likes. Yeah, we don't talk about his Warner Brother movies or his other movies. Yeah, so. exactly. Anyway, um, so Dan created with Jeffrey, who did The Final Destination, and they had this idea of you know shorter stories, um, interesting Southern Gothic horrors that aren't necessarily tied together. They can be standalone episodes. And so we shot one. We're going to shoot two in April. Hopefully three is in May. And then I'm not sure about four because it's not all interior. And in June, I don't want to be outside. <laughs> so yeah, that's it, true. It's painful to shoot outside. We'll it's see longer. how much say I have in this. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So with it being an episodic um, and a lot of your other projects were not, um, how how was – well, how has the pre-production process been? Are you taking it le- legitimately one episode at a time or are you kind of looking at the bigger picture? Both. Um, we want to shoot all of them in Tampa. I live here. And um, and Christian lives here, and Dan does not. But uh, um, when I joined on, I said, hey, man, I'm not traveling just to go shoot some low-budget stuff. <laughs> I have a wife. I have three kids. I actually like them. I like seeing them. And so um, the whole idea was to bring work to Tampa to build out a, a production facility here in Tampa. And so, yeah, we're, we're having fun. Um, and so our biggest challenge is that stinking virus. It's just killing everything. Josh told me not to bring it up, so I had to bring it up as soon as I could. <laughs> Two minutes in. Uh, that'll be episode three of Black Veil. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. <laughs> like an old Resident Evil type of episode. Yeah. Complete complete rewrites are coming. What was the, what was the best epi- uh, um, uh, movie uh, uh, that you liked for one of those viral kills everybody? Oh, man, I don't know. I haven't watched. I don't really watch them. 40 weeks later? Uh, 28, 28, 28, 28 weeks 20, later. 20 weeks. It was the second one. 28 days? 28, 20, it was 20 days and then 28 weeks. It was the second one. It's a good thing we're not a movie review. What's in the coffee here? <laughs> <laughs> my, my bad. Attention span. <laughs> no, no, I mean... 28 days was cool. I, I, I'm probably going to say that, that one because I don't know a lot of them. Well, for me, it's I'm always my first. zombie movie guy. Like if I watch one first, ever the one pulls from that. Mm. And I see where they pull from it. So I was like the first one best. Because to me, that's the most creative. So 
Oh, yeah. it's a new concept, and then they just have to attempt to make it. I mean, that's why sequels what, struggle. And was 28 Days Later the one that did the, like, was that the first movie to do, like, the full-out sprint running zombies? Uh, no, that wasn't. It wasn't? It wasn't the first. Who did it? Do you know? Mm, well, the first one I liked was Resident Evil. It may have been uh, the first. I don't know. It may not have been the first. No, I think that did come out before 28 Days Later. I'm just thinking the Resident Evil games where yeah. Yeah, you never could survive longer than like 10 minutes of gameplay without dying because they would just like... I would just never play it because as a kid, I just, I couldn't get even past that one hallway where the dog would just <laughs> crash through the window. I was too scared. Isn't so that didn't, literally the, like the, the start f- of the game? Yes. That's yeah. <laughs> why so I never played it. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Spent $60 on a game, can't get past the first scene. I borrowed that game. <laughs> that was, I was a car, I, I played Gran Turismo and, you know, stuff like that as a kid, but... Um, are we including like outbreak, like outbreak movies or in this category? Yeah. yeah. I mean, then the movie outbreak is pretty good. Very creative there on your transition. (laughs) (laughs) Are we counting outbreak movies? The movie outbreak. Pandemic movies. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Yeah. Then I (laughs) I would, I would say the movie outbreak then with what, um, yeah, with God, um, we are not a movie review no, platform for the record. The, guy, mean, that, the guy that plays the president in Angel in um, Olympus has fallen. <sighs> the guy who played God. And he's oh, also the voice of God oh, in Bruce um, Almighty. It's um Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. Thank you. I had to search for that. <laughs> we're, we're not going to have Morgan Freeman on the podcast anytime soon because well, you don't know my name. <laughs> but yeah, Morgan Freeman. He's in that, and then what? Uh, Dustin Hoffman, I think, is in it too. I I, I really. Don't recall that movie, to be completely honest with you. You don't? It's like a 90s movie. I remember Outbreak. It was yeah. good. Yeah, it was a good 90s movie. It didn't move me, though. You know, the the the, the poor elements of Resident Evil resonated more. Than, yeah. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't sleep that night. Than the Outbreak movie. So you're kind of like, ah, Outbreak. We're all going to die. We get it. Let's yeah. watch it for an hour and a half. Yeah, it was meant to be more real. Well, and then Steven Soderbergh's movie, Contagion. Hmm? I was, you know, not my cup of tea, but... It was very realistic. Oh, so, Soderbergh's awesome. Yeah, he's a great director. I mean, the Ocean movies, they st- still hold great. up to this day. Yeah, so, I, caught, I caught myself watching uh, Ocean's uh, Twelve like a week and a half ago, like was, on TV. Yeah, just I, ran through it. Yep, uh, we have Hulu, and all of a sudden I saw it on the TNT when I was like, and play on the TNT on TNT channel. Oh, yeah. yeah, okay. I was like, it was already like fifteen minutes in. I was like, yep, yeah, and I'm watching this. So yeah, it's one of those that if it's on, you can't pass it. You know, you want to watch it. But um, so, Doug, tell us like how you got into the industry and where you started out and all that stuff. Like, because I know a little bit of the story, but Kevin doesn't know any of it. Anyone listening may not know it. So, can you just give us the like the rundown? I was born a poor white boy <laughs> in Indiana. <laughs> My dad, they worked with farmers, <laughs> and I worked with farmers. Um, no, that's actually true. Um, but then uh, um, I ended up at. Indiana, then at Purdue for my master's, and moved to LA because I wanted to get married to this girl I met mm-hmm. named Shannon. She's pretty hot, and that was a pretty good standard for you know moving to LA. Yeah, and then so uh, uh, we did, and then I needed a job, and I had an MBA, so I get ad. And in Hollywood, I guess that's pretty rare. <laughs> so, so I was always like, "Hey, look at this business plan. Tell me what you think." And yeah, I, right. Or they're really, or in Hollywood, they're too good at math. I really was like, I would joke. I'm like, "Am I the only guy who can add? Do you guys don't know how to read this thing." <laughs> And um, so I just got into a bunch of business deals, and um, I, I, 
I am was running an advertising company for a friend that he kind of picked up out of ba- um, bankruptcy and did that for um, a year and a half, turned it around for him. And then um, my wife was an actress working with a director on um, some commercials and some TV shows. It's like before reality TV, he was doing this reality show and everyone thought he was the weirdest guy and this will never go anywhere. And then like, you know, five years later, reality TV blew up. And so he was just this really interesting, creative guy. And he was at a company called Cognito who had, you know, five of the top 12 directors. And he was number 12. He was the low guy. <laughs> so um, so when she met him, he was looking for a new producer. He inter- she introduced me. And suddenly I was producing commercials. So I didn't even actually cut my teeth anywhere. I just had a hot wife who got me jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're looking to break into Hollywood. <laughs> Marion. Find a really hot person. <laughs> and then uh, and then did anything happen after the, the commercial stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so I was producing Toyota stuff for Sachi and Sachi for Barry. Um, and um, and, the and com- you did one of the t- Toyota things. I know I was like, do you remember these the old Tacoma commercials from back in the day, like where they pushed the Tacoma off the cliff? Oh yeah, yeah, that was him. The oh. tough guy launch. We did a lot yeah. of the tough. So so we were just doing. Oh, another Toyota spot. I don't know. But it's all just um, all around Tacoma's rebrand. And so I swear. Uh, so you know, got to you got to throw trucks off a cliff. To, or no, just it's a visual throw. effect. It's movie magic. I, I was hoping you would tell me that, that you actually threw one off a cliff. No, never. Dang it. I'm a farm boy, man. Why would I throw a truck off a cliff? Ah, oh, man. <laughs> I was hoping you'd be like, yeah, for, we had to throw one over to see what it would do, and then everything else was CG after that. I wish. No, we, um, we, um, I'm pretty sure Toy- Toyota doesn't want to bashed up truck at the end of the commercial unless just, they have I just, to. I just wanted to see, I just wanted to hear the story if it, if it was true. No, you're on set though. And, and all of a sudden the car shows up and that's all they care about is the vehicle. And and so we walk over like, what the heck is that? Oh, that's your Tacoma. No, 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 no. That's a Sequoia. That's huge. <laughs> no, look, it says Tacoma on it. I'm like, so seriously, whenever we had these trucks on set, I really didn't think they were real Tacomas because <laughs> they were so freaking big. You're like, what the heck? That is huge. So the truth in advertising thing, you know, we don't throw trucks off of cliffs. We, we don't drive real Tacomas on sets. We have other cars. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I probably was a Tacoma, but I gave the agency a hard time for two days on one shoot. <laughs> so, um, no, but no, we had fun. That, those were fun shoots because really all those were, were how can we be crazier and bigger than the last time? And so, you know, when you're just a, Guy likes to play video games. It's not hard to be crazier or bigger. Right. So, yeah, you guys would have had a blast. <laughs> well, on uh, <clears throat> Tacoma, I, I would have tried to eke some way. I'm like, in that deal, I get a truck out of this. <laughs> <laughs> Do 10 commercials, get one truck free. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, those commercials with the with the rates, two commercials get a truck free. Yeah, those were budgeted. Yeah. Uh, those were before rates went way down. Gotcha. Um, I mean, there's still budgeted commercials out there, but a lot of them are... 50 grand and less. Yeah. And, and um, this is back when everybody was getting paid. Back when we were shooting on film. Right. So film, it was so fun. It was more work on set, but it was beautiful. How was working with the, you know, that's a pretty big undertaking. So how was working with the, the other agencies and the client like Toyota and all that stuff? I mean, was it, was it kind of like any other commercial or was there a lot of extra, you know, red tape and stuff to go through and... Uh, yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I, I didn't work with some of my producers at a different agency, and we were all friends. And um, but they would demand limos to and from set. They would demand tarot card readers and masseuses on set. They would demand suites at Lowe's. 
I'm like, you live in Culver City. You don't need a suite at the Lowe's. No, no. I have to have a suite at the Lowe's for this shoot. And so these – um, so the, the, some of the agency people would only hire the most expensive production companies. Mm. And so budgets looked padded, but really it wasn't necessarily going to the production. Right. <laughs> gotcha. Just part of it is, you know, it's a cost of doing business. How do you book this commercial? Um, you say thank you a lot. Right. And that's kind of our business, you know. If you want to work with people, it's nice to say thank you a lot in ways that are meaningful to them. Right. So, Josh, thank you. <laughs> Kevin, thank you. I have the Tacoma out there now. The, um, <laughs> there's a, there's still a lot you of that. You should put your Prius on some big um, mag tires. <laughs> Get a glass pack. Well, you know, the the one thing I've always <laughs> joked about when people give me shit about my Prius is that one day when I have my other, when I have my Forerunner and all that stuff back, I'm going to tweak that Prius out. It's going to be able to run against some Ferraris on the street. I'm going to do I, some stuff to it. To, to this day, I'm actually pretty surprised with the kick that that little Energizer Bunny car of yours has. I mean, going from, I mean, there's a lot more pop in it than you think because of the batteries, but having went from a 4Runner and a Tacoma to a Prius, it was a big transition for sure. From four-wheel drive to get out of any situation I want to or get in any situation I want to to like... No, it's gas mileage <laughs> and family time. You, know? you see a little puddle, you're like, I have to go around. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I can't go around. I can't especially, go over. Especially Tampa streets, the way they flood <laughs> when it rains hard. But you can bark the tires. I had a Prius for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not a bad. It's a lot better car than you would think it is. No, it's, it's like a little Toyota. Yeah. It's, it has a, a Toyota engine. Yeah. yeah, a little go-kart. But um, so, sorry, I kind of interrupted you when you were kind of, saying to kind of talk about the Toyota stuff. So but so rude. after the Toyota commercials, what was the next step for you then? Um, I was on a shoot on location. So I, I, I talked to my wife for about four hours, one month, like a meaningful conversation. It was always in passing because it was just kind of a run and gun time in my life. She's working, you're working. Yeah. And, but in those hours, I was like, hey, uh, you know, we want to have kids. I probably shouldn't be doing this if we're going to have a family. I should find a different place in the industry. And, um, and, um, I think that night I knocked her up. <laughs> <laughs> so I go to set, come back, she's pregnant and I'm like, Oh, well, I'm glad we had that conversation before because now we're both happy about this. So that's when I opened up local hero, the post company. Got you. And so, um, I just, um, so I was doing freelance production, not just commercials, just in LA, you follow money. People call, Hey, you can produce stuff, help. And so, um, we're just doing some freelance production stuff. We're doing the commercial stuff. I opened the post shop. Um, I'd booked three movies for color correction, um, which, you know, a TV show, they throw filters on. Mm-hmm. But on a movie, they actually, you know. Spend time. Yeah, yeah. We'd color things for a month sometimes. Um, so, you know, they're on set for a month and we're coloring for a month. Right. So, um, anyway, so uh, I basically, uh, the cost of a DI room in L.A. went from like two or three million, you know, down to about 250000 Wow. And I had three movies to do um, that I'd, ah. Little, little, uh, I'll remember we that. like to lay traps for people. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and so, um, at the when I booked the third movie, I was like, I can't run this through, you know, Laser Pacific or Pack Title or with the amount I'm paying, I might as well go out and buy the stuff and grab a colors and do it myself. And, and was that change in money due to the transition from film to digital? Um, yes and no. My first DIs were film. Okay. Um, and it's, um, but, but it, everything was moving digital. Mm-hmm. Everything was, um, even before the cameras were. And so we, um, we basically just, I just bought the stuff, built it out. We bought all the hardware ourselves. We licensed the software and we tried out different software platforms, um, to see which one we liked best. And, 
you know, we had a movie to do. And so we get a free software trial for 30 days. We're like, go, we have to kill her fast. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> we lose this, we lose this in 30 days. <laughs> and so, um, uh, anyway, so it was kind of fun. And, and uh, uh, Leandro Marini, Leo was my business partner. Um, I met him editing uh, at a shop. He was editing some of the um, P90X stuff for a director named Mason Bindewald, who's a pretty cool guy. And so when I met Leo, once he wasn't editing anymore, I was like, dude, you're talented. You could do anything you want. And he goes, well, what I want to learn how to do is color correction. <laughs> no, I'm serious. It's just one of those moments like, wow, that's so bizarre. I'm looking for a colorist. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've only had that conversation once in Hollywood. Right. And that's at the birth of the company. Wow. So sometimes life hands you things. Yeah, 100%. And you just say yes. Yeah. So the, the first projects that you had coming in, I mean, what were the budget level on those? Oh, man, they, they, um, I would try and figure out if they had like, you know, 15 grand to spend. I'd mm. tell them, you know, 12. Right. Because then they're like, oh, I saved money. Yeah. yeah. You know, so we yeah, really look like the hero. Well, well our, was first, called local hero. our first three f- films we did, two of them, nobody in town would touch. Um, so one of them um, was shot on Super 16. And then it was converted to digital. And the editor was like, these files are too big. They're too big. I'm going to down convert them. So he did, but he didn't reference any of the framing sequence or numbering. And he goes, this is still too big. So he down converted them again. And so now there's a version of a version that references nothing. And nobody would touch it. And <laughs> That's going to happen all day. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin moved it. I, and, <clears throat> you know. I kind of like it. It's kind of spooky. It's kind of, and then <laughs> something happened. You know, there's beats, you know, every 10 minutes. Where's we have the to, Foley guy when so, you need him? So needless to say, we will be moving that. Yeah, uh, again. For, for, well, I mean, it wasn't in a good spot the first time. So That's going to be fun today, though. Um, yeah. So we, we took that one on, and, and we actually, frame by frame, did the conform manually um, through one of the Adobe plugins. And one night we were working all night for like four or five straight nights. It was um, Andrew Walquist was there. He's now a Disney engineer, but he uh, colored a movie for me. He directed a Honda thing for me. He he's just this guy who could do anything, um, and did you know? So, uh, but when he had kids, he thought I should probably get health insurance. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. it's kind of the you know everyone who has kids like health insurance. I always wonder what that was for. Yeah, I mean we've had several mm-hmm. people on the podcast already that said you know even if they didn't have kids, a lot of their decisions to do things in the industry were based off of was I going to have health insurance? It's it's crazy. It is. It happens. It's part of life. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So anyway, we um we conformed it. And one night, I don't know if it was two or three in the morning. I really don't remember. All of a sudden, I said, Andy, let's see if it plays. And they're like, what? I was like, let's just see if it plays. I don't know how far. And we hit, and the whole movie played, which means we were done with it. We're like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But we had one little room in the corner on the second floor uh, in the Howard Hughes building up in in, um, West Hollywood. Uh, They were building a target. It's now the huge target by the lot. But it was being built, and we were just in this little room doing conform on one movie and coloring another movie. Wow. Um, And so, yeah, it was fun. Those were the early days. Where uh, money didn't matter. We we're just doing it for the romance. Right. And so um, another movie they shot on, they shot on, um, they cut it in Avid HD and they shot it on Veracam, I think. Okay. And the two, you could cut an Avid from Veracam, but not HD on that version. And so we had to get Avid and um, we had to get the Veracam in. We had, and then Leo, they're all on the phone every day trying to figure out how do you conform or how do you online this? Because nothing will talk. So we really were building workflows before they existed. We were figuring out data flows and how to make things happen. And when things came out of the box, they, they were plug and play. They never worked. And so a lot of it was just, you know, I just like technology, like most guys like technology. And 
we just figured it out. You know, we just dug in and found the right people and solved lots of problems. And now it's easy. Right. You know, now my kid shows up and does things on his iPhone. I'm like, you know, that used to be hard. He goes, yeah, dad, you're lame. (laughs) (laughs) That was really hard. Trust me. I wish I had a podcast back then. I would have documented it. Yeah, right. (laughs) You'd have been able to make big money on that, documenting that. So those are the two projects that no one would touch in the area. That's what you were saying. Uh, or, or the third that? one, the third one um, um, was a great, great little doc called Bomit from a guy named John Reese. John did. Um, he was the first guy who did self distribution really well, and he traveled and spoke. He still does. He, he has books out on it. But Bomit um, just he went around the world um, just documenting taggers and their life. You know, so you see all this art up, and people are like, oh, those taggers, you know, they're devils. Um, but he'd actually get to know them and show them. And it was really compelling. That's cool. But the footage that came in from all around the world, it was every format. Uh, I mean, you know, there were like, you know, VHS tapes and DV cam and high eights. And I mean, anything you can imagine, any camera that had ever been created in the history of the world was used for this doc somehow. Wow. And so we had to figure out how to, no one wanted to touch it. It was just too expensive. And and so John, you know, I met him at the Roosevelt Hotel. Hey. Um, and I used to, have to take meetings in the lobby because I had free Wi-Fi and there's a coffee bean next door. <laughs> no, I'd grab coffee, go to the Rose Belt, hang out, and then people would just come. We'd hang out. Yeah. You're hungry, go down the pool, eat some food. I didn't know it was a cool place. I was just working. Right. Then later people were like, you went to the Roosevelt. <laughs> How did you get in? It's like, oh, you just I walk just in walked the in. door. You, know, <laughs> you get coffee, coffee bean, you just walk in the front or side door. <laughs> so anyway, it was just, uh, I wasn't smart enough to know it was cool. Right. It was just, um, so anyway, but, um, at the place, John told me what his budget was, and I believed him. And so I said, okay, we'll do it. And it wasn't much, but it was just a cool project. So, um, so yeah, no. And the rest is history. We did 50 films our first year or two. All of them, wow. a, a lot of them didn't get big distribution. So they were seen, but not like widely around the world. Um, but it was just young filmmakers. So we got the name Local Hero because we were the guys who were saving these young filmmakers who, who needed help, even if it wasn't their fault. Like the the kid editor who downconverted and lost all frame reference, he had no idea what he was doing. Right. Because digital was so new. Um, and he was on before we were to tell him, here's your workflow. You know, DICs didn't exist back then. Um, it was just post-supers. And a lot of them only knew film workflows at Laser Pacific, hmm. um, who went out of business because guys like me just took over the market with lower budget stuff. Plaster City was around back then. They became Iron Works, or no, they became Light Iron. Um, but a lot of other people went out in the recession. Wow. So Tunnel Post was around back then in the early days. And then Dan Myrick had a shop in Pasadena. And every now and then, I, I didn't know who, who owned it or who he was, but he was doing a lot of the same stuff we were, only we were in Hollywood and he was in Pasadena. And um, we'd bid against him. And so I was like, you don't want to go over there. Those guys suck. <laughs> Little did you know. Well, no, they were good. I knew they were good. Right. It's just, you know, when you're trying to get business to, right. you know, feed your wife and she's always hungry. You know, you just got to, <laughs> you got to just try your hardest. So I know what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> your wife's always hungry. Oh, man. <laughs> feed. It was, What's Joe weigh like, you know, 78 pounds? Soaking wet. 90. Wet. <laughs> Soaking yeah. wet. Yeah. No, it's... um. We were joking about something yesterday because she was talking about, you know, the, the toys, at least when we were kids, the toys that girls would get and were marketed. And she had one toy that was like a credit card machine. 
and you it would basically just taught you to swipe the credit card. And I said, so that's why you're so good at it. Nice. Because you had the credit, and she just, and she laughed, she took it. I was like, all right. And then you're on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's a good thing. I got a comfortable couch like we were talking earlier. So. Oh, man, I got the biggest. You go to Z Gallery and find the biggest couch they have, yeah. and I bought it. Yeah. Give it to me. Uh, it's so nice. Everyone should get a can room. This, can this couch fold out into a bed? Oh, yeah. Oh, great, great. Thank you. <laughs> now, there's five of us, and we can all lay out on it together. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so we haven't had a family slumber party. We're not, you know, hillbillies. <laughs> Yeah, we can watch movies in there. Well, you build forts off of it, right? You know, oh, do yeah. the movie night, build forts. I'm, I'm looking forward to that with the little one. I do it by so. myself. <laughs> Where's dad? <laughs> He's in a fort. <laughs> the, um, so how how long did you have Local Hero? Oh, Local Hero. We, we started in 04, um, kept the production company. I, I uh, was the third person in town to get the Panasonic HVX, you know, the direct-to-drive camera. Um, I was the second one to buy one, but Jesse Dillon was Bob Dillon's son, and he walked in and said, I need it for a snicker shoot. So they gave him my camera because I didn't go pick it up the first day it was there. And so I had to wait another week. <laughs> so darn you, Dillon family. <laughs> your good music and your thievery. Um, so anyway, um, but we used that to get a lot of work, just having one of the first digital direct-to-drive cameras. It was, you know, 1920 by 1080, but if you knew how to use it, it looked good. Right. And so we got a lot of production work that fed the post company. Um, and then, you know, the post company, if we booked a job and we'd have to decide, do we hire someone to do it or we just do it ourselves? You know, so if post budgets get bigger, you can actually make a little bit of money. Um, but yeah. so anyway, but um, around 2010, we moved to a vacation home in Missouri. I was traveling back and forth to L.A. for about six months because um, there was a direct flight. And then uh, I looked at my wife. I'm like, hey. We moved here for the kids to, you know, raise them, not in L.A. And and uh, then all of a sudden, uh, I never see them. <laughs> so it's yeah, because really not what our goal was. Right. And so I took some time to sell. Um, I was the CEO at Fifth Kind, um, and I owned. The, I was the founder at Local Hero. I'd handed that over to Leo to run because he wanted to be the man, um, and he did a great job. And then um, a friend of mine wanted to buy it, um, named Kevin. So he actually bought me out. So then he and Leo owned it. Nice. And then that company sold several more times. But the biggest thing we did back then was like Pitch Perfect or. Death Race 3000, or we ended up getting a bunch of like lower budget studio stuff, then just a whole bunch of true indie stuff. It was, you know, and when you were getting those, was that all for color correction and post, or um, we we would um we would sort of post super after editorial, okay, um because you know what is finishing, you know where do I mix, you right. know so some people had it set up, some people didn't. Um, every now and then we'd help find editors, um, mm -hmm. but usually that was taken care of. Okay. And when, when you're post-supervising, you know, because this is definitely an area I don't know a lot about either. I mean, because there's not a lot of that around here. When you're post-supervising post something, what's entailed with something like that? Like I really have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if it doesn't sell, you have to worry about deliverables, so it's really easy. Mm. Um, but uh, um, since we had created all the workflows for our system, we just know that there's there's editorial coming in right. that needs to be conformed. There's going to be um, audio coming in from a composer, from uh, a Foley artist, from whoever, uh, for the final mix. And then there's um, the, all has to be laid together after color correction. And so, so you're just basically managing that and making sure that's all coming in and being done properly. And managing artists, managing people, managing time, and managing files. The files yeah. was the hardest thing back then. Because there wasn't like uniform standards that we all used. Right. I remember when H.264 came out, we're like, oh my gosh, this is great. Right. You know, it's just like a new standard that, that everyone played by. So what did you guys do for drive storage? 
I mean, how did you handle that? Uh, I bought a 24 bay raid hmm. that we built, and we had two fifties in there originally. And when I left, we had one terabytes. Wow. Um, so we just slowly upgraded and right. upgraded, and, and if that thing went down, we had to rebuild it. So we knew we basically taught ourselves how to build hardware. Right. Which you know, some guys work on cars. We worked on machines. Right. You know, it was kind of fun. Sure. Um, yeah. And with with all those deliverables, with all those movies, did you guys have like a hard deadline that you had to then backtrack? Some had festival screenings, some had um, premieres, some did have um, deliverable schedules. So if, if you know someone was buying it, here's our deliverables. Can you execute or not? Right. Um, and then you know, some I had a friend who who would always color at Company Three, but he'd always call me and go, "Hey, we're uh, finishing color up at uh, Company Three, but uh, we're premiering up at Toronto, and can you guys give me a bid and do some work on this? I'll pay you." I was like, "Are you trying to get your price lower?" Company Three goes, "Yeah." <laughs> so like ah uh, yeah five grand for this stuff just done so anyway so we worked on a ton of stuff just so that he could get a lower rate that we never put our name on no which i won't tell you what it was <laughs> fine, white but we did actual work we were creating screeners and we were creating right. other stuff just and, kind of white labeling that for him and okay. yeah but you know company three wasn't supposed to know because they had the actual contract right okay who by the way i've colored there they're great Love Company 3. Yeah. Brandon Cox, uh, one of the DP that we had on, buddy of mine, um, his colors is from Company 3. Mm. She just did the Joker movie and some things like that. So um, so after you kind of, you know, after Missouri, and wh where do you kind of decide to go from there once you realize, like, okay, the, you can't I'm not seeing the kids. Yeah, you can't commute so anymore. So I, I sold um, Local Hero to Kevin when I was at Fifth Kind, uh, Steve... What's, um, what was fifth kind? Uh, fifth kind was basically cloud computing before it existed. Oh, okay. Um, so Steve Cronin is this like genius coder guy who was an asset manager on the Matrix, um, and so he couldn't manage all the data that he was being given. So he started writing code to manage everything. And so then, by the time it got stable, they were looking to build the business out differently. And so uh, you know, I showed up. You know, we talked. We liked each other. Six months later, they brought me in. Nice. And um and so it, we did a lot of changes. We restructured a lot of things. But it was funny. I was having a conversation uh, with Matt um, one day, who was one of the owners. And he's like, so how are we going to build this? Are we going to raise money or do sales? I'm like, well, raise money. If you can do sales, do it. He goes, okay. So he left and he came back and goes, I just booked three Sony jobs. It was like 20 minutes later. I'm like, <laughs> hey, why don't you do that every day? <laughs> well, I'm here. Just if you do that every day, that's a good day. And so um, it was um, Priest, Sucker Punch, and um, I can't remember that one right now. Nice. But they were like nice Sony movies. Um, but before that, they were doing only 100 million and ups. Mm -hmm. And so we had to like segment the product and do things. But but it was um, it was um, security was the biggest thing. If you're going to take a studio movie and make it all digital, you don't want anything leaking ever. So uh, what Steve figured out was how to make all that secure. Hmm. Which is pretty cool. And how did you? Can you talk about how you made that happen? Or oh, that was not my department. Oh, okay. Got you it. just knew it happened. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I just knew I couldn't get in. But you know, right. I mean, what matter more is can these you know kids who are thirteen get in? Right. You know, because they're, they're 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 the hackers of the world. Right. Um, that's why that's why they're you know in all the movies. Uh, mm -hmm. Um, you you ended up in Florida though. So my wife took a job at HSN. Oh, okay. So she was well, doing. Um, that's why. She was doing some shows for E. She had a Warner Brothers contract that ended um, as a host. She was on air for some shows. And then um, when after I sold my company, she was like, well, should I stop traveling too? And I was like, that's up to you. 
<laughs> and then um and then one day you know when we moved there southern missouri you know it's where they shot the outlaw josie wells you know down the ozark mountains and so we moved there like it never snows here and that's part of why we went there and they had like a blizzard every year and the last year my wife's like i am so sick of snow we are moving somewhere warm and i was like well we don't want to go to texas nothing against texas we just didn't want to live there right and we didn't want to go back to la you know i mean what am i going to do I go back to LA, start another business with three kids, or go to work at Warner Brothers. You know. Yeah. Um, so um, HSN called her because she was on air and, and started recruiting her, and we were seriously like, wait, they want to pay for us to move, they want to pay you an LA rate, and they want you to be on air. Let's try it for a year. Let's see how it goes. You know, if it doesn't work, we'll go somewhere else. Um, but we were looking at Atlanta also, hmm. uh, so we came here, um, and then um, it was, you know, we both like to work, uh, and um, but there wasn't any film work for me, so. <laughs> so, um, there's lots of commercial work, but there's lots of really talented commercial people. And so I didn't feel like I needed to compete with them when they're trying to feed their family. So did you not at all go into the commercial world around here? No, I didn't do anything. Okay. I mean, Josh and I joked and talked about starting a commercial production company. Yeah. And then we didn't see each other for four years. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that long. Yeah. Maybe three. But felt like it. Yeah. I missed you, man. Anyway, um, so it was a great idea, and I think there's a big market for talented people here, and there's a lot of talented people. Yeah. Um, but it just, um, you know, starting a business from scratch, I've done that, and didn't feel like doing that then. But now I'm doing it. Right. Over at the power station. So how did you get, how did you get involved in you know getting the power station built up? Um, I I, um, I seriously was like, you know, I really should get back out there and do stuff. I, I have some connections. I have some relationships. Um, so I spoke at um, a thing for Jeannie Cochran, uh, excuse me, down in Sarasota, and was on a panel. And, and when I got done, some people came and go, oh, my gosh, thank you for sharing. No one ever shares that kind of information. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, most people don't share anything important. And you actually told us how the business works and you shared contacts and who to talk to. I was like, you know, you could do a web search for five minutes and find everything I've told you. <laughs> but there's a way the business works that if you aren't in it actively, like you guys are, it's just a little bit different and right. it's not as obvious. So I didn't know I was sharing things. I realized in a market where it's not as busy, right? Um, the people who are working understand these things, but the people who aren't, you know, kind of crave it. You right. know, how do I get going in the right direction and not waste five years of my life? Yep. And so after that, I started looking at opportunities to speak more, to hang, help out more, um, or to shoot stuff. And then, so I went to a Film Florida thing and Christian Krempel was there and we were talking out on a break and he just looked at me and goes, hey man, when are you going to get off the bench and do something? And I was like, there ain't nothing for me to do here. <laughs> you know, what I do is a little different. And he goes, I've got something for you. So then he showed me what he and Dan were doing. Um, and so I was like, oh, that actually is kind of cool. That that could, you, you know, if it doesn't need what I have to offer, you know, it feels like a waste of time. Right. Just to be honest, you know, because in a startup, you're not making money. Um, you're, you know, I always say in a startup, assume you're working for free for a year and if you get paid, you know, celebrate. Um, and so, but that was something that I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I could actually help out there. I could have a lot of fun. Um, and Dan's a great director. So, you know, sometimes I've worked with younger first time directors and there are different challenges. And so I, I'm more selective when I do that. With, with, I mean, can you give us a, a little bit more on how your guys' relationship has been building the last year? I started there August 8th. Um, on August 8th, I know the date because Tyler Martinlich, <laughs> the big boy. What's up, big boy? <laughs> anyway, um, and um, Ken Hagen threw a party in Ebor at this building that I'd never been in. 
um, for the power station. And I was like, well, how does, okay, cool. They're throwing us a party. I guess I better go. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. I just had started working with the guys. And then they announced all the things that were happening. Um, and so, um, and so I don't even remember what your question was. But um, so we just um, all of a sudden made this big public image, but our content wasn't ready to launch yet. Usually I like to right. shoot a bunch of things, then tell people, look what we just did. Right. This time it was like, look what they're doing. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so people were like sending us headshots, wanting to come by for meetings. I'm like, guys, we're not doing anything until next year probably. You know, we're, we need a quarter just to get things set up and rolling. Right. And so January we shot our first episode – um, we were going to shoot the next one um, um, in March, um, but Dan has a little movie called Skyman um, that's premiering, and I'm not a part of that movie, and it has screwed up my entire production. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dan, if you're listening. So, Dan. <laughs> anyway, no, so we had actually um, – he didn't know everyone was going to pick it up. You know, when you have a festival movie, you send it out, right. and all of a sudden it's screening everywhere, and he goes, oh, man, you know, we're busy. Um, it's even going to London. So um, is he going to go to London? Probably not, right? Um, originally, yes. Right. Um, but with all the Corona stuff. Well, um, the coronavirus. I when his last day in town on Blackville episode one, I saw that there was the very first episode in the U.S. in Seattle. I was like, Dan, you're flying home. Yeah, the coronavirus beat you there. I was just like, it's it's in the states. It's where you live. Right. So he lives in the heart of it. You know, he lives at Ground Zero. Mm-hmm. Um, wife, kids, uh, mom. And so um, he is very open to traveling, but also very open to taking care of his family. Right. And so I usually just, hey, man, whatever you decide, um, but can we shoot in, something in April? I'd like to. Right. <laughs> so, um, so we kind of worked out a schedule. That, and, and it is the schedule we're sticking with, but because everything in the world's canceling, it really is like, hey, how many flights can you get? How many Nick Matthews, our DP in L.A.? Um, our editor, Jason Perlman's in L.A., is flying out for GIF. Um, to, and bringing um, the second draft of the show that we can all watch together. Nice. Um, and so, but if they can't get here because there isn't much travel going on, then it would change everything. Right. So I, I'm moving forward as if everything's happening though. Yeah. Right. Yeah, a little, little bit more time. I mean, we're... You yeah. live until you die, so I just live every day. Well, and I say with film sets, you know, they're, they're just mainly canceling big gatherings right now. Yeah. You know, film sets, 30, 40 people, you run into that at a Walmart or a grocery store mm-hmm. or whatever. So... I mean, as long as you just don't have someone coming to set that's sick. Oh, my gosh. I have a great – you know, people use Kickstarter. We just started home delivery service. You need toilet paper? <laughs> you need hand sanitizer? Call us. Three guys delivery. <laughs> we could finance like four movies off that right now. People will be ordering everything. Uh, did, I mean, everything's out. It's crazy because yep. we went the other day to try – I got and, lots of stuff. No, do you, <laughs> <laughs> You've been hoarding for a while. You've been waiting for this day. I have a lot of bathrooms. <laughs> I went to Publix this morning for my wife um, and just went there for fruit and some fruit and vegetables. And it was, I, I was seeing people's carts and I was, I'm looking, I'm like, oh my God. Like, and I, I so I, I had to go down the, the sanitizer. You just wanted to glance? I, I just wanted to look. I, we didn't need any of that. I'm just like, let me, I, so all I have is the basket with fruit and vegetables in there. And I'm like, all right, let me just see what the toilet paper situation is. Empty. I mean, just no I soap. Mean, it only takes one good day to empty a store out. Yeah. I, was, keep... I mean, it was, there were signs saying, there, um, you know, due to uh, high demand, um, each item, can, you know, two per person, but there's nothing on the shelf. So I'm like, oh, well, you mean zero for people. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's weird, but. It's like a hurricane. Yeah. yeah. Only across the entire country. 
yeah. and you're guaranteed to to keep power. Well, we were well, we had a blizzard <laughs> when we were in Missouri, and we couldn't leave for ten days. I mean, it was kind of cool. There was so much snow um, that we'd just go sledding every day and yeah. four wheeling. So. Yeah, I, I grew up in Indiana, 11 years in Indiana. Where? So, uh, Noblesville, just north of oh, Indianapolis. Noblesville. Yeah. I grew up north of Anderson. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we um, played Noblesville High School. I went to Highland. Okay. Which is mm-hmm. now a middle school. It's not a high school. After I left, it got downgraded. <laughs> that was all because of you. You <laughs> kept it afloat. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm well aware we had two years in a row that it was like five or six days we were snowed in. Okay. So, um, and it, right around the same time, I remember, I actually remember my dad being like, didn't this happen like, this exact same time last year, it's like, yeah, I kind of did. You know, we lived in a cul-de-sac, so all we had to do was just you get one of the doors to to open, you know, side garage door or something. And we would all, all me and all the neighborhood kids would just play in the cul-de-sac because which is awesome. It's a hundred percent safe because no one's driving, so we would just right. you know make forts and do a lot of snowball fights and for nice. like five or six days everything would semi melt and then you'd go back to school and it's like, all right, cool, that was fun. Those are the days. Yep. So when you did the talk in Sarasota <clears throat> and you said that, you know, you gave a, do you remember any of the, the stuff that you kind of talked or discussed that day that they were kind of considering contrarian to what they had? Well, now that I know how valuable it is, I don't really share it much <laughs> anymore. Here's a five. <laughs> you can donate $5 to my uh, GoFundMe and get all the information you want. It's like, oh, completion bonds, just call bonded. Right. Uh, just stuff like that that, oh, you know. Payroll service. Yeah. Oh, you know, so I just I just basically told them some names of companies I'd used. Right. Um, at the time, and, and they just were all writing it all down. And so uh, It's remarkable that people weren't giving that information to begin with. I mean, that's why we started this. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, me and Kevin were at a sunscreen, like I would two say- Two years ago? Two years ago, we were at a sunscreen panel with producers, and that's what started me, that's what led me to create Greenlit, but that's along the same line of why we're here now. You know, we sat there and we knew everything, and I'm just kind of looking around the room, and there's people just eating it up, you know, and it's all basic stuff, and I'm like, how do none of you- know this and I don't hate you for it, but it's like research. If you really want to do this and you really want to get in the industry, research, talk to somebody like, how is this, you know, I get that you're at the panel, but I, unless it's your first time really getting into it, but some of these people I'd seen around and I'm like, how do you not know any of this? You know, you should know better. And well, so, in Los Angeles, everyone's so specialized that right. when you know, I talk to actors and like, what are you? I was like, oh, I have a color correction. What's that? Is that editing? Like, <laughs> no, it's not editing. <laughs> um, and, but the whole process is very complex and time-consuming that if you aren't in the room when it happens, right? people, you know, even like, you know, I, I know um, DPs who had never mixed because that's not their job. So they don't get to go in the mix room. Right. And so, um, but out there, a lot of people don't know what anyone else does. But as an entrepreneur, I quickly learned what everyone does because that's right. just how I think. Um, I remember working in the camera department. Um, uh, and getting there first and working longer than everyone and leaving last and making less money. And that really irritated me. <laughs> you know, because in the farm world, if you work longer and harder, you have more crops and you make more money. Right. And so I always thought the camera department was underappreciated. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when I quickly jumped over to become a producer. Because I was like, what's that guy do? Nothing? I could do that. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> largely the same, largely the same path I did, which was why I got in the grip and doing some of the other stuff is I always wanted to produce. Well, originally, when you go to film school, you want to direct or write like everyone else. And then some of us quickly realized that the reality is different. And so you're going to do a course adjustment. And so I was like, okay, produce. 
I see that's a place that I can be. But in order to be there, you know, kind of like what we discussed when we had Kat on, very quickly I saw the different types of producers that were on set for the jobs that I worked, and I knew the type of producer that I wanted to be or production manager. And so I wanted to be the one that had the experience and knew what everyone was supposed to do. And so I didn't rush myself. I didn't try to get into a place to where I was producing five years earlier than I was ready. You know, I allowed myself to work on crew in as many positions as I could for the longest time. And I had a good little, you know, grip career with that. But in, you know, in that time, I learned a lot of valuable information that I would have probably never learned. And I'd have been like those people at sunscreen that day. And Doug, thanks you for not uh, not being not, that person. Yeah, not being well, that person. Well, Doug doesn't have to thank me because Doug would have never had me yeah. had I been that person. Yeah. So, and, and that's yeah. why you are currently working on Black Veil. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. but it's, it's true. I mean, everybody. I mean, we've we've had people on set. I mean, you and I have worked with some of those people, and we've also just seen it on the outside. And I would imagine you have too. I mean, people who jump the gun. I mean, maybe they're a year or whatever, five jobs or ten jobs too soon. They take up a gaffer position no, I, I usually tell them I, I i really must have like some type of mental issue because i tell people what i think <laughs> and we're in the business of storytelling yeah, right they want to be told a story business yeah. i would always i would have people come into the post company or into the production company and i had a, I had a film fund for a year um and then the market crashed and so we shut it down before we spent all our money so we were in the black not the red mm-hmm. um but uh, people come in with all this stuff that they and i look at them like you know what i looked at your reel you're definitely not a director. You should focus on. So here, I think I'm helping their career out, but they hated me. They never talked. And then, like two years later, they come and go. You're right. I'm not a director. Right. You know, I really should be in the art department. Like you're a great art department. That's what I told you. You're very creative, but that there's a skill set for each job to excel at. And in Los Angeles, if you don't excel, you're not working. Um, you know, I mean, you need to really be good at what you do. You need to be likable, and you need to work hard. People they reward hard work. If you're right. needy, no one wants to be around you. And so if you're needy, you know, you're like, oh, my gosh, get this person away from me, yep. even if they're talented. And so just, um, just you know, like you're likable and you're very talented in the art department. It's been, then, of course, five years later, they may figure out how to direct. But I was only telling them in the moment when they're asking me for money. <laughs> I'm just like, right. dude, you shouldn't ask anyone for money. <laughs> They'll be better off for it, though, because they'll have a lot of life experience to draw back on. Well, I think everyone, um, whether you're a producer or a director, should try and work in every department. Right. Because then you know what they're doing. So I agree. Then, yeah. Um, you, you have more appreciation. And then when you ask them things, you actually know what you're asking them. Because um, no one likes that producer who is asking grips to light, you know, gazebos on Because I did that on Black Veil. <laughs> <laughs> I show up and there's a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, hey, guys, sorry. I'm, I really am sorry. But I, do you have an extension cord for the band? You know, just. Oh, Andrew yeah. probably loved that question. Oh, he did. I, I asked him for an extension cord for the band stuff, as I'm sure you probably did as well. Andrew's, well, you guys got to stop this. You got to have your own cables. And I'm like, yes, I know, Andrew, but I don't have another option. So I'm coming to you. Yeah. So please and thank you. No, I knew, I knew it was the wrong question. Yeah. And so I, I tried to let Sometimes him know. Sometimes you still got to ask him. No, I tried um, to let you know. I know this is the wrong question. You're busy. Yeah. Um, if you have time in the next hour. Yeah. Um, and so there, there's a way to ask. I mean, you can ask him if I ask correctly. <laughs> I will actually. I, I don't know if a- Andrew ever thinks anyone asks correctly. Um, <laughs> he was great though. Yeah. I love Andrew. And all of a sudden for no reason, there's an extension cord laying right where it's supposed to be. And I was like, how did you get that there? Well, that was crazy. He, he's a magician. <laughs> yeah, he, he is. So, um, so it all worked out. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's just, just at least knew enough to know that that wasn't a good question to ask. 
<laughs> that's because I mean, but we still had to ask it. It's a very right. low budget shoot. We don't have enough people. Yeah, um, that's another thing though. We didn't have enough people or a big enough budget, but everyone killed it. Everyone, yeah, they did. Very professional. Everyone did great work. They did a great job. Hopefully, um, hopefully they all come back for episode two. Um, uh, they'll all be invited. Yep. Uh, but anyway, no, I, I really like the crew we had. Well, I mean, uh, how far in advance are you? crewing and prepping for episode two. I mean, it's... That's it, Josh's job. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for putting me on the spot. Yeah. No, um, should I mean, have started the last past week. <laughs> yeah. No, no, not at all. I mean, we're still far enough away at this point that we're not really starting anything yet. I mean, like he said, he's starting now doing some of the, the higher end, you know, above the line prep stuff. But I mean, as far as, you know, crewing and stuff like that, we're nowhere near. Um, you know, cause we're going to have things like payroll and all that up and running before we start. And so it's going to, you know, we're not near, we're not near yet. We'll probably start that like two or three weeks out. Yeah. The script's not locked yet. So okay. we can't lock locations yet or right. talent because there are things that are changing. Right. Um, but once the script's locked and we can see locations are 75 to 80% done, we'll have a clearer picture. Cause now we have to pick dates for them. Yep. Um, I've already checked a veil from director, uh, Chris Pickenpaw's directing number two. Um, and, um, Dan and Christian and, um, 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 our DP and, um, there's a number of people I've checked avails to see what works for them. Cause I want to make sure that, and Josh has checked some avails a crew cause there, there's people we want on set and we need to make sure it's a one week shoot with two weeks of prep. So, you know, if they're all busy the same time, we'll push it back a little bit. Yeah. Gotcha. And you guys are doing fives? Yeah. Five days. Five. Yep. One week. The, um, five days no overtime, but we always go over and we pay overtime. <laughs> <laughs> the um, <clears throat> well, we only we only went over one day on the so, which is amazing. I've never seen trucks pack up so fast. I mean, I mean Dave Cook well, and his here, here's team. The, here's and, the and thing: Sean. if you if you tell people we're going to do twelve days and you honestly stick to the twelve the twelve hour things and try to get them out on time so they're not killing themselves. People respect that, hmm. and they real they don't try to take advantage of you, you know. Because if you're eking them drive every piece of energy they got, and you, you know, like we're gonna do twelve days, and then you're there fifteen hours, fourteen hours, those people are gonna they're gonna be tired. They're gonna load slow because mm-hmm. they're tired, and they're gonna load slow just to be like, you know, I'm gonna take my time. I'm not gonna kill myself. You're you're taking advantage of me. I'm gonna take advantage of you. So, um, when it comes to Tooting? I have to I have to cut that out. It comes to his brain farted. <laughs> um, <clears throat> oh, I keep forgetting this isn't live, so we can just say whatever we want. Yeah, um, and I can cut wherever I need to. Um, you just so did. for for LA, you know, have having been there and experienced that, what would you say to someone that wants to, you know, move out there, do start a job a career out there? Yeah, I packed my car and moved, and man, it was I was so poor it was harder. Hmm. You know, I just I was in love, you know, so who cared? I'd figure it out. Right. Um, it's it's a lot more palatable um, if you have something to do before you show up. And so, like, I knew a guy who was wanted to move um, when I was in Missouri, and I was like, "Well, Trader Joe's and Best Buy, you know, they'll let you transfer anywhere in the world. So go get a job there, put in a transfer, go meet people, and start working on your career." Um, he, you know, he was great, um, but it, he did that. And after he's in LA for a year, he goes, I really don't like it out here. So he moved back. Right. Yeah. So, um, but that way he didn't go into debt for a year doing stuff to find out he didn't love it. Right. Um, actors, you, you know, I tell people you aren't working for two years. It's just not about, you know, hitting your mark and saying your lines. There's a whole lot more to the business that if I tell you about it, you won't believe me. 
you know, on how it works. And so you need to get there, build all your connections. And so how are you going to live for two years? And so a lot of people give themselves six months and then they go and they move back. And I'm like, you didn't give yourself enough time. You know, it's, it's, it's a two-year commitment. Um, so if, you, if you're moving two years, make sure you have the cash flow because um, it is expensive. That's what my producing instructor at Tampa always told me. He's like, give yourself 10 years to be not, you know, that you have to be 10 years to kind of be where you want to be from where you are now in school. To, and he was almost spot on to that. I'm just saying two years to cash flow yourself only. Right. No, exactly. I knew a writer um, that I played basketball with, and he wrote stuff for NBC and other things, but he sold textbooks on the side. I was Smart. Like, and I was like, hey, you sold another show. Are you going to quit textbooks? He goes, I'm never quitting selling textbooks. I'm like, why not? He goes, I make a ton of money doing that, which lets me do what I love. Right. And so um, everyone has side hustle jobs that they're necessarily proud of. Um, but that allow us to pursue our passion. And then if you get to a point where you can do it full time, um, that's obviously more desired. Um, but even, you know, I had local hero, I, I barely paid myself for five years, um, cause I was doing other stuff to make money. So we'd roll it back into the company. Um, so it's just, it's just one of those things that you just have to, a lot of tough choices. I mean, if you have kids, you're done. And you're like, wow, how much is it to have kids? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Oh my my break even was like ten grand a month. That's and that's something that a lot of people forget too when they're starting companies is that, you know, the whole paying yourself thing super early because we did the same thing with Greenlit. We haven't taken anything yet. It's all been back into the company, and so. But if no one tells you that, you think, oh, okay, well, I just got five grand doing this project, money in my bank, but then how are you scaling your business? How are you growing that? I'm sure you went through that with two stories as well. hundred percent. I don't think I gave myself a paycheck for the first 14 months. I was doing freelance work being, you know, being a grip or mm -hmm. first AC on other jobs. And that's, that was my income. Um, and, but in terms of like a TSM job, I don't think I took a TSM paycheck for the first year, 14 months or something. And, I probably could have done it around like the 10 month mark, but decided to keep the money in the company. So that way when I could actually, so that way what keeping a little extra money in there allowed me to take an actual salary when the time was right. Instead of just taking a little bit of money a little earlier, wait that extra four or five months. And I was like, Hey, I can actually give myself a biweekly, still not great salary, but something that was a little more feasible. Yeah. But you so. have so many toys here. It's like a toy factory. <laughs> but now you can bid jobs based on, oh, they can't afford to rent everything. Yeah. You could still bring it and get the job. So. Yeah. I mean, I built out the G&E trailer by just holding on to not paying myself. And that's paid That's paid for well, it paid, paid for itself 10 times over at this point. And gave you more money in the pocket. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, that's great. I mean, well, you could have had me in this room, but instead... I was talking about coming here for an office, and I turn around, and the next day, Kevin's like, oh, I made it a podcast room. Oh, yeah. You said no. <laughs> you said no. No. So, you know. I was like, all right. You live a long way from here, though. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, but I the, wouldn't but like the to Prius, see his face every day. But the Prius could have, you know, you know, there's no there's no gas money there. No, there's not. <laughs> it's, a, it's all hopes and dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Unicorn blood? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so if you're a poor broke filmmaker, get a Prius like yeah, Josh. Yeah, probably. Yeah, not not a bad idea. Not don't a bad don't idea at all. don't don't get my truck. <laughs> or get or get a you know, get something else that's batteried or whatever. When I had when I had the Prius, I I could load up an entire like small pickup truck worth in the 
mm-hmm. Prius. It was like I swear to God, bigger than you think. I swear to God, car. it's a it's a clown car when uh, Joe's <laughs> when all the wardrobes <laughs> when in that Joe's thing. wardrobes yeah. in there. <laughs> he, I've I've parked right next to him and I started getting like you know some of my cases out or whatever. And then all of a sudden he opens up the little hatchback and I'm like, what the? F-? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, hey, can you grab this for me? Yeah, I'll, I'll hold it. And then he grabs like two more cases. <laughs> Joe walks over, grabs grabs a case, and I'm like, is it still? Going like yeah. what is happening? He, <laughs> hey, it's a clown car. I've uh, I have figured out how to efficiently pack that thing and where it needs to be. And I've went through several stages of <laughs> like, well, okay, that, that that didn't work that good. I got to add, you know, what usually changes the pack is the wife comes up and be like, I need to take this to set today, and you're like, oh, I got to rechange my entire pack just to fit this one thing. But you know, you find a new system that works. Alarm's so. going off 45 minutes earlier than it needs to yeah, just exactly. to pack the vehicle. 40, 30 minutes just to fit in this box, <laughs> you know? So, um, <laughs> uh, after, after that little tangent, um, where's power station currently stand? Um, how, how is the building? I mean, I was there for the, um, August 8th oh, yeah, uh, yeah. unveiling. You look familiar. <laughs> um, but how, where where are we? Where does the curtain stand now? Mid March. I have this huge couch in my house that I don't ever want to leave, <laughs> <laughs> and the power station's across the bridge. So you'll find me on my couch working most days, um, just because we're in pre production and I'm scouting and uh, been going to morgues. There's a morgue in the next one, and and so there's there's two morgues. Tony Armour hooked me up with SPC has a actual teaching college um, near where I live, and then um, Camels USF in yep. downtown. So Tyler. Martin Lynch hooked me up over there. So I've scouted them both. The film commissioners here are great. You know, if, if anyone outside of the area is looking to shoot here, call those two first. Oh. Then call Josh. <laughs> oh, thank then you. call Kevin. <laughs> and then call me. I'll usually call Kevin. So <laughs> you can get to me get to Kevin by getting to me. Yeah, I easily have like four or five phone calls a week come through from Josh. I look down, I'm like, all right. The, what ends up happening is if Josh calls me once in a day, it's inevitable I'm gonna get a second that day. Yeah, he misses it, you. Yeah. He wants I, this office, I, is what it is. He's so like, I, I've, I've I'm actually, really mad you turn it into a podcast studio, don't you see? I, I've actually called that out with my wife because, and she's actually noticed it. She's like, "All right, so um, Josh, you just talked to Josh like an hour ago." I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, "When? So when's he calling me? He won't calling you again?" <laughs> like, I don't know, an hour or two, I'll hear from him for a second time. So it's no, great though. He he'll never call or return calls to me. He's a text. Or he like voice records something. He does. He does uh, the voice. I'm, on that. I'm like, he doesn't want to talk to me. Yeah, he does. He does the voice memos <laughs> all the he time. He's gonna be really interesting, and he'll be stuck on a call forever because he'll be having too much fun. <laughs> yeah, t- Kevin's a bore. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I started this with him. He's totally boring. Um, anyway, so so the power station is there, um, but most of what we're doing, we're shooting all practical um, on location, so um, it doesn't affect Black Veil so much. Um, so we talked about shooting a few things out in the warehouse, but the scripts keep getting rewritten. So, right. Um, but it's there, and and some people from England want to shoot in the warehouse, so we're bidding out to them. And I mean, it's there. It's just um, you know, it's a building. Yep. It's like your building here. You don't have to come every day. You can still work. Right. I started three businesses at the Coffee Bean on Robertson, um, just next to New Line, and so I have a history. You know, I, I if I'm in too quiet of a space. And so at the power station, there aren't a lot of people there every day. So when I go there, I'm like, I just don't want to take a nap. I just drove across the bridge. I deserve a nap. <laughs> <I'm just> like, <laughs> my life just got shorter. You know, so um, uh, so uh, um, because of that, I, I would prefer to work in an environment where there's noise and activity. Because when there's things going on around me, it helps me get focused. Um, if there's nothing going on around me, I don't know. Kind of weird. 
No, it's interesting. I mean, because the first time we met was at the coffee over on the coffee place over on Kennedy, and we had several production meetings there. Oh, and, Buddy Brew, yeah, 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 Buddy Brew. We had a couple Black Veil production meetings there, and that's definitely a thing with you, the coffee shop. So. But everyone's got their system, you know. So yeah, it's better than a bar. <laughs> you, you know, oh, yeah. you now know how to catch his attention. Hey, um, I need to schedule a meeting. Buddy Brew tomorrow, two, <laughs> two o'clock. I was going there too much. I love Buddy Brew and love the people there. But I was like, I gotta, I don't need to drive across the bridge. So I go to Indian Shores Coffee Shop now. Got you. Oh, I know that one is. That's that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. It, there's there's enough going on, but it's also quiet enough. Yep. Um, but now with all the snowbirds, um. Trying to evade the corona. <laughs> yeah, there's no parking ever. It's kind of crazy. That's a small lot to begin with. So. I should have my own spot, though. You talk Wouldn't to, that be cool? Seriously. You could probably talk to him and be like, hey, here's some money for a spot. Thank you. I owe, if, I, if I book that gig of my own spot, I will invite you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pay you in coffee. <laughs> yeah, we'll just podcast from there. You know what, though? Um, so the guys who started that, one of them worked at HSM with my wife mm -hmm. and quit because they started the coffee shop. And um and now they have a couple of different locations and they're in, but they're just like cool people like hey we can make a cool coffee shop better than anybody else and they did um so they have one down in um and um hey they should be your first sponsor because I'm plugging them right now <laughs> <laughs> I'll get on that too that's how I'll get my own spot you pick up the sponsorship and you get your spot we'll give you a spot here if you get a sponsor I think it's Black Panther Coffee and there's another one they're opening but we should do um um a commercial for them in exchange for a free spot for me. Okay. You're like, yeah, whatever, Doug. <laughs> hey, I mean. This is why I don't pick up when you call. <laughs> <laughs> it all makes sense. <laughs> Kevin, just text Doug. Don't call him. Yeah. <laughs> and those of you out there listening. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I appreciate you coming on, man. Oh, we're great. done. Oh, man. Yeah. We're just getting going. <laughs> we got to get, get you out of here. You're talking about spots and commercials and you got to go. Got to go hide. Yeah. <laughs> got to go get to work. Got to bring some work in. Yeah. Oh, we got five more episodes to start planning for. Uh, I'm ready. See, episodes are easier than movies, though, because if you do a movie, it's all the work. If you do an episodic, it's all the work on the first one, and then most of it repeats itself. And so um, so the second one should be a little bit easier. The third one should be easier. So Yeah, we'll find out. But I should go get that commercial job and book you. Yeah, hey, I'm all down. That's how Josh and I are friends. I book work, and then he talks to me. <laughs> is that is that a friendship? That's not exactly or... true. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm looking bad here. <laughs> no, you moved too far away. You moved across yeah, the bridge. I, well, that's the complaint everyone had. I went across the bridge and south. I, so he's across the state, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Only time I see anyone at my place anymore is on special events. Doug, thank you so much. Yeah, um, thanks, guys. Well, well, um, keep an eye on Black Veil for for those of you that are interested. Um, they're on Instagram. Um, and uh, you can always find you. I, I know that you're pretty active as well. On um, Dan is, I am, Christian is, and yeah. there's a Black Veil site somewhere. I don't know who manages that. Someone manages the Black Veil horse. <laughs> stuff just shows up, right? So cool. Yeah, follow us, follow it, and uh, hopefully we have more stuff coming in the near future. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Kevin, it's the end of the podcast. What do we need people to do for us? We need people to leave us a review on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever they listen to their podcasts. Yeah, and that's pretty important for us because, you know, as we grow and bring on new guests, it's going to help us kind of get to the top of those rankings and, you know, be able to bring new and more important people on. And right. on that note, if you have anyone that you would think we should talk to or any topics you want us to, uh, to cover, please reach out to us on uh, Instagram at uh, FGI Podcast. Send us a message. It goes to Josh and I, and we will uh, we will talk to you there. I'll just forward it to Kevin. Yeah, make me to do the work. Yeah, that's what I'm good at. 
That puts a wrap on this episode. We record this live at Two Stories Media in Clearwater, Florida, and it's sponsored by Greenland Entertainment and Two Stories Media.